0: been in a series where we're saying let's get some clarity about how we're called even whenever I don't know what tomorrow brings even whenever I don't know what's happening and I don't know who to believe around us what are we called to do and so we're coming back and we're just looking at and studying the way of Jesus we just need to see Jesus in this time we just need to see what what has he called us who's he called us to be What is this life that He has called us to. And so the reality is, is the world sees us, it doesn't really see us as that different from the world. That's a part of this barrier that we're erecting here to faith in Jesus. We talk a good game but the reality is so often today the church is appearing to be just as anxious as the world. To be just as riled up and, and demanding and 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 claiming our rights and we, we just don't seem to be all that different than all the voices in the world out there but what we're going to see in our passage is we're going to see just the clarity of our calling in the world what is our purpose? what is it that Jesus calls us to? what does our witness in the world look like as believers and that's what we see in our passage so we're here Continuing what we began last week in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is one of the most comprehensive pieces of teaching of the life of Jesus. It was an entire sermon that Jesus gave to His disciples. Now it's important whenever you come to a passage to remember we're coming in on something that has something that comes before it. Last week we looked at the Beatitudes, which is talking about just the, the heart values that are very normal in the kingdom of God and we talked about that last week and we need to keep that in mind as we come to this passage and then after these verses we're going to look at Jesus is going to continue to flesh out what is the way of Jesus what is the life that he's calling us to in the world and how does it look in all these different realms and all these different relationships in our life but today as we look at these verses Jesus is describing for us what is our calling in the world our witness and now he gives us two images here to describe our calling in the world salt and light jesus says you speaking to his disciples are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world now what do those images mean now it's important to recognize the context here you know in the ancient world Salt was very important for one specific reason. This was before refrigeration. They didn't have deep freezers. They didn't have a way to preserve food other than salt. That's what you use primarily salt for. You would salt food. And a part of what salt primarily would do is it would keep things from going bad. It would stay corruption and turn back corruption. If you've ever eaten country ham, you know that reality. Country ham salty. Why? Because in the country, they used to not have refrigerators. So how would you keep and preserve your meat from going bad? Well, you'd just put all kinds of salt in it. A love country hymn. So Jesus there is saying, this is your calling in the world. To be the salt of the earth. That we, in a world that is in a, just a natural state of decay, the world because of the reality of sin in the world ever since the very beginning at the fall the world is in a it's in a cycle of decline and decay it falls apart it goes bad and Jesus says to us as disciples you're to be salt in the earth that is we we keep the world from going bad we turn back corruption in all the places that he's put us we bring life and flourishing and and just imagine how much darker the world would be if we had not been put into those places. That's our calling. But then also this, this image of light. Now In the ancient world, again, this was before electricity. There's few places we can go in life now where we're not around light, even at night. You know, it's hard to get so far out of the city, so far away from all the lights, that we're just in touch with just how dark things can get. Have you ever been out in the country, maybe you're camping, maybe you're far away from civilization, and things are just utterly pitch black. That was a very real reality in the ancient world. And so throughout the Bible, darkness is this kind of overwhelming metaphor for sin, for corruption, for danger, for evil. Now it's amazing that Jesus would look at his disciples and say, you are the light of the world in all of its darkness. That's a remarkable thing to say. Now, I I think we would naturally imagine Jesus to say, I am the light of the world. In fact, he does in many places. But isn't it so significant that Jesus looks at his disciples and he looks at us and he says, you are the light in this dark world. I think that's astounding. I think naturally, we don't think of ourselves that highly. We think of ourselves much more lowly than that. We think, what can I do? I mean, that's certainly what the disciples would think at this time. Think about his disciples. They were not people of power. They were not people of influence. They were not educated. They were really a mess, if you know anything about their life. It was so hard for them to get it, and they were afraid. And you know, they just weren't all that impressive. And yet, Jesus looks at them in a day of incredible darkness and says, You are the light of this world. Their day was very dark. The world was very dark in their day. In this day, they had been under the oppression of the Roman Empire for about five centuries. They knew each and every day the reality of oppression. They lived under that and they lived in a culture that was incredibly morally decaying all around them. The values of the world were the complete opposite of their values. And Jesus says in this world of darkness, you are its light. And he says the same thing to us. Now our world, I think one of the things that's painfully true, as we're seeing right now, is just how dark the world is. I mean, does it feel like that for you? That I feel like every day, whenever you see the new headlines of the day, you're like kind of bracing yourself, or what are we going to hear next? You know, if you watch too much of the news, I mean, you'll just sink in despair, because the reality is the darkness of this world is just becoming so apparent. I think before the pandemic, especially in our culture, because of Wealth and affluence and comfort and security. It was easy to kind of live in this, this uh, false sense of the world is really in great shape. But the reality is as we walk through this crisis and this pandemic. And we look around we say, there is darkness everywhere. I mean, we see so much division. We, we see uh, unrest in our country. We see the realities of racism and prejudice that uh, have uh, largely laid hidden to many of our view and it's now come out and we're having to face these realities and we're, we're seeing sickness and we're seeing uh, just our culture just slide into moral decay in so many different ways. The reality is this world is dark. And yet Jesus looks at us and says, you are the light of this world. It's a remarkable kind of statement for us. Now, the danger, Jesus says here, is for us to lose sight of that. The the danger is for us to lose sight of our calling. And that happens in one of two ways. And he points it out in in the passage here. He says, one of the dangers for us, is that though we're called to be salt, is to lose our saltiness. What does that mean? It means to lose our distinctiveness in the world. That is, to just become like the world. To be no different from the world. That's what he means by that, that though we're called to be salt, there would be no distinction, there would be no contrast with the world. And yet on the other hand, he uses this image of a light. He says no one would light a lamp and put it under a bowl. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now those are two metaphors that would have been very tangible for the disciples here. You know in the ancient world, cities were built on hills, up on a hilltop. And you know, at night, if you were maybe out in the wilderness, maybe if you were on a journey, maybe if you were making your way to a particular place, you would be able to see a city in the ancient world from a far distance because of the light in the city, the lamps, the torches that would be burning in the city. And it would be a beacon and a picture of hope. The city was a place of safety where the wilderness was a place of danger. And so if you were out in the darkness of the night and you would see a city set on a hill and it would be just casting its light all around it would have been something that would attract you something that would give hope in the same way in in a a a home in the ancient world you would light the home once it got dark it's utterly dark and you would light the home with one little lamp you'd light that lamp and it'd get light to the room and Jesus says you know you would never light a lamp and put it under a bowl so the warning there to us Is that we would retreat from the world. Is that we would not shine in the world. I think these are huge tendencies for us. is either to to just become like the world. To look like the world. To be just as anxious as the world. To be running after the things that the world looks, runs after. To to be caught up in all of the various narratives of the world. And to lose our saltiness. To have no distinctiveness about us. Or, Or on the other hand to just retreat from the world one of the easiest things in the pandemic is just to kind of hide out. To hide out in the corner. To retreat. To kind of cloister ourselves. To just be into our hobbies or, or just all into ourself. And to see that we're called to shine in the world. We're called to be in the world. But not of the world. It's The exact kind of balance that you see Jesus calling us to here. So what exactly does it look like to be salt and light in the world? I think oftentimes as we think of witness, I think what we primarily think of is our words. You know, as we think of witness, we're like, okay, we're talking about evangelism here. We're talking about the things that we say. We're talking about taking a, a stand in the world. We primarily think about our words. Now, words are critically important in our witness. Evangelism is critically important. But notice what Jesus emphasizes here when He talks about the light of the world. Look again at verse 16, and here's what He says. In the same way, let your light shine before men, notice what He says here, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. See, the emphasis that Jesus gives for us in being the light of the world and shining our light in the world is our lie it's how we live Jesus says it is your good deeds it is the way that you live that will cast your light into the world and everywhere that you've been taken so what what does he mean by good deeds and you see that's what the Sermon on the Mount's all about it's the Beatitudes that we would be a people who are poor in spirit who are dependent upon God who are merciful who are peacemakers then as we walk through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, after this point, is he talks about all these things that like we were to be a people of forgiveness. that We were to be a people not ruled by anger, but yet a people defined by love. A people who even love their enemies. A people who honor marriage. A people who don't objectify other people. Who are not dominated by lust in our lives, but rather see people as people. That we would be people of truth. That we would actually say what we mean. That, that our word could be trusted. I mean my goodness. Can you imagine how, how much that would stand out in our world today? Because to lie in our day to day. It's just what you do. It's how you win. It's a virtue right now. In our world to lie. See Jesus is saying you're to be a people who are marked by radical generosity you would just give your lives away that that we would not be a people of judgment that we we would be a people who live out these values but yet we would look at people who are unlike us and we would not look down on them as if we're better than them because we realize the only way that we have been changed the only way that we have been rescued is by the sheer grace of our God so we're not a people of judgment that we're not a people who are anxious Because we have this deep abiding trust in our Father who runs the whole world. See, this is the Sermon on the Mount. That whenever we're wronged, whenever we're insulted, we don't strike back, which in this world, that's what you do. you got to hit back harder. But Jesus says, I'm calling you to be a people who respond to mistreatment and insult with love. You see, that's what it looks like To be salt and light in the world. It's relational. It's how do we treat people. How do we move in relationship. Are we we demanding and taking from others. Or are we disadvantaging ourselves. For the advantage of others. That is the way of Jesus. You see Jesus is saying. That is what shows the world. Who I am. That's your calling. That's what it means to be salt and light, that you would contrast with the world, and yet you would reveal the very heart of God and who He is. You see, the reality is, it is seeing our lives that will lead them to believe our words. So let's get real practical with this. What does this look like in our everyday life? Because that's where it really... The rubber meets the road. It's not, what do we do in the heroic moment? I think oftentimes when we think about this, we're like, okay, what do I do if somebody, you know, comes to my house and they're they're trying to steal my stuff? You know, we think of these scenarios that are just so far-fetched. The question is, how do I live this out in the ordinary? Because we can't expect to live these things out in the dramatic moments if we don't know how to live them out in the ordinary and the everyday. So what does this look like with our families? What does this look like on the ball field? What does this look like at school, kids? What does this look like at work? Let me just drill down on this. What does it look like to be salt and light Monday through Friday at your work? Now, I'm just imagining that for most of us, work can be a dark place. Work can be a place where there's drama, where everybody's trying to get one up on one another, uh, it might be a place where the boss is incredibly unfair. Maybe even because of who you are, you're treated differently than other people. A work can be a place where people kind of, you know, gang up on certain people. You know, the weak, you know, it's kind of, this happens at school too, right kids? There can be a place where it's just very natural to just kind of brutalize other people and just kind of ostracize them and beat them up. and It's a way of elevating ourselves. You know, work and school and all these places, the ball field, they can be dark places. What does it look like to be salt and light in those places? Well, it means to live out the Sermon on the Mount in each of those places, that we would be different, that we would be a people who don't seek to lift ourselves up, but rather we respond to all of that pettiness with love, that we would actually care about our coworkers. That we would actually be a people who pray for that boss that's just absolutely ridiculous to live with. And we don't even feel like we can follow it all. See, to be salt and light would be, I pray for him. I actually seek to make his work a success. That I stand up for those of my coworkers who are so easy to just kind of tear down. See, it's relational. It's how do I treat other people? That's what it looks like. To be salt and light right in the everyday of where you're put. And now, that's incredibly hard to do. I mean, to live in this way in all the places that God puts us, if you really try to do it, it's incredibly hard to do. So the question is how do we do this? It's where we go every time. We have got to be regularly beholding the glory of Jesus. You know, the reality is the only way to be the light of the world is if we are beholding the light of the world, Jesus. You know, there's ultimately no light that is natural and intrinsic to us. The light that we shine in the world is a reflected light. It's the light of Christ. And if we're going to be a people who are reflecting the light of Christ in all the places that He's put us, we have got to be beholding the glory of Jesus. We've got to be daily seeing His person. His character, His love, His forgiveness, His compassion, His truth, His strength, His Lordship. We've got to be daily resting ourselves in His work, His cross, His atoning sacrifice for us, His resurrection, His enthronement, His reigning over all things. We've got to behold the person in the face of Jesus. Because when we are enjoying Him and beholding Him, we reflect His light into the world. So let me just close with this metaphor here. You know, one of the things that's really um, puzzled historians and sociologists throughout the centuries is that as they've looked back on uh, the first few centuries of the Roman Empire and how Christianity grew so rapidly in such a short amount of time. I mean they've looked back. And even even non-believing historians have looked at this and said. This is an utter phenomenon in the history of the world. How did this group of people who were marginalized. Who, were, who came from an outpost in the Roman Empire in Palestine. Really a forgotten nowhere kind of place in the scheme of the Roman Empire. And how did, how did it go from this small group of kind of non-influential, non-powerful people. You know in, in uh, throughout the history of the world, the way that most religions and empires grew is through conquest and war. And yet you look at Christianity and you're like, how did they go from this small, weak, kind of nobody people in a nowhere place to in the course of three centuries, the dominant religion of the Roman Empire to a number of six million people in 300 A.D. How could that happen? And we see here, you know, it starts with like 12... Fishermen and nobodies. They have puzzled over how did that happen. And they've looked back. You know what they've come up with? Two essential things. It was the contrast of their life. That is, their, their life just stuck out and was utterly different from the lives of common people in the Roman Empire. It stuck out. It was a contrast. It was salt. And also, secondly, it was their care For the poor and the vulnerable and the sick. I mean, especially, that just stuck out. Nobody was doing that. Nobody valued that in the Roman Empire. And yet, Christians uniquely were living that out. You know, one of the things about the ways that they live, and this has been pointed out many times, is that two things in particular really stood out about their lives. In the Roman Empire, it was an incredibly sexualized culture. A very sexually promiscuous culture. I mean, it was very common for, uh, for husbands in the Roman Empire to, to have sex with many different people. It was just a part of the culture. It was just accepted. And at the same time, they were incredibly stingy with their money. And that day, you did not give your money away to anybody. And yet, here comes the Christians who just st- stood out from the culture around them because sexuality for them was a sacred thing. It was something that was exclusively reserved for marriage. And that was just the weirdest, dumbest thing in the eyes of the Roman Empire. What a weird people. And yet with their money, they gave it away to everybody. They were stingy with their bodies and promiscuous with their money. Even people who were unlike them. They lived radically generous lives. One of the ways that that stood out is actually the story of the plagues in the early Roman Empire. In fact, there was a plague that broke out, just a massive devastating plague that broke out in the 200s AD. And historians have looked back on this and said that, you know, these plagues were, they were like big moments where Christianity really stood out from the culture and really grew rapidly in these seasons. So during the plagues, you know, they didn't understand. They didn't know about social distancing. They, they, they didn't fully understand what was happening. But whenever these plagues would hit the Roman Empire, what would happen in the cities is that people would put the sick out of their homes. So if you uh, were a family in a home and somebody got sick in there, you would put them outside the home on the streets. Kind of brutal. I guess they did know about social distancing a little bit. And so the wealthy in the city, because they had means, they would flee the city. They would get out of the city because those were hotbeds of the pandemic. And they would go out to the countryside and into their manor outside in the countryside. So what was left in the city was the sick and the poor. But Christians just stood out. Because instead of leaving, instead of putting the sick out, they moved into the cities. As people are living in the cities, they're passing the Christians as they're coming in. And they came in and they care for the sick. And they care for the poor. Even the poor of non-Christians. And it just absolutely puzzled the world. What is it about these people? You see, they were salt and light in the darkness of the world. You see, when they saw it, then they believed it. So the reality for us is that it is a really dark time. And the reality is they're not going to believe it until they see it in us. You know, our calling right now in this moment, in the midst of all of this, more than anything else, it's not about finding the right political leader. It's not getting behind the right kind of cause. It's not what am I going to do whenever this or that happens. That's not what we're called to be focused on. Our calling right now is to be salt and light. To embody the person of Jesus in our very lives, in the ordinary of every day. And when they see it in us, they'll believe it. And the only way they're going to see it in us is if we are seeing it in Jesus and beholding His reality and His gospel in our life on a daily basis. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus... I pray that you would help us to have clarity in this time. That you would help us to take this calling, which is really pretty simple and basic. This idea of of being a people who stand out from the world and yet are in the midst of the world. I pray that you would help us to take that reality and work it out into the ordinary details of our life I pray that we would know how to practice this tomorrow morning in our places of work in the ball field that we would remember in those times that we are called to be salt and light and Lord I pray that we would be a people who are just regularly and continually beholding your glory that we might reflect your light and your glory to the world in Christ's name we pray